Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Recap. My name is Brandon Rank, and with this podcast, I hope to introduce weekly updates of state and local government and political happenings and events, um, so that way you're not necessarily overwhelmed by daily headlines that may encompass the entire state or the entire world or the entire country. Um, really, for those people who just want to keep up with politics and government, um, but don't want to become overwhelmed by it. Um, So basically, what will happen in this podcast is I will start with some national headlines, um, then go to local headlines, and at the end of the podcast, I'll present to you a call to action each week, um, basically asking you to do something each week um, that would help somebody else. I myself have grown up um, really noticing and realizing that community service is the foundation of our society, society, and it's really important to help others. Um, I've always put others before myself, um, which sometimes is a bad thing, um, but most of the time it turns out great and rewarding, um, and I encourage you to do the same uh, with that weekly call to action, which will be a simple thing that you can do to make someone else's life um, better and happier. So, as a disclaimer, please note that any personal opinions or views shared during this podcast are just that personal opinions and views, and they do not reflect the views or opinions of my employer or any organization, board, or committee that I am affiliated with. In addition, this podcast was recorded on Sunday, November 15th at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, so therefore some things may have changed since this recording. So for this first podcast, allow me a minute to introduce myself and a little bit about me. Uh, My name is Brandon Rank. I live in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. I recently moved back to Clinton County um, after spending two years out at the Indiana University of Pennsylvania pursuing my degree in human resource management that I am now finishing online with Southern New Hampshire University. Um... My my journey with politics and government started in my senior year of high school when I was appointed to be the student school board member um, for the Jersey Shore Area School District where I graduated from in 2017. Um, really getting my foot in the door and, and realizing really what local office and local politics and local government and how education works and all of that in the local area, which entices me a lot more than on a national scale. I think that local politics and government has a lot more influence on its local people, obviously, and so therefore those offices are are more important than people may realize. And I think that uh, one of the biggest issues that we have amongst our system today in American democracy is that we draw many people every four years to vote for president, and I don't think that we do that great of a job um, at promoting and putting out the views and and opinions of other people running for local office, resulting in people just kind of going straight party, which is okay, um, or maybe just picking which name sounds better to them, um, or whatever. In those cases, especially younger people, because they don't know who these people are in local offices, and they don't realize that they're just as important as national offices. Um, After that, I've spent the last couple of years advocating for LGBT rights and creating awareness of local government. I'm out in Indiana, Pennsylvania, and eventually, I hope to run for a seat on the Lock Haven City Council, or even better, the uh, state representative seat for the 76th District of PA, uh, which 
at the moment is very enticing to me. It may just be a temporary thing, so we'll see. Uh, but that is kind of where I want to go with politics. I really want to be influential with local office and become um, a local representative of some way, shape, or form um, to have the most impact on the local people. So a lot of people ask me sometimes what politics means to me because they they see these national headlines and they see divisiveness and they see uh, Republican versus Democrat. And really what politics is to me is it's people. It's about we the people. It's not about Republican and Democrat. It's not about independence. It's not about the Green Party. It's not about the Libertarian Party. It's It's people. It's putting people over politics. I know it's weird to say that politics is putting people over politics, um, but in my opinion, that's just what it is. It's putting the people first, getting the people what they need, making sure that people, all people, can be successful in this country um, and, and that everyone is able to live the American dream and to grow up in our great country and to basically represent everyone. And that is very important to me is representing everyone. Um, that's something that, um, and as you'll realize, I will share my personal opinion quite often throughout this podcast. If you're looking for unbiased, unpartisan views, this isn't where you'll find it. Um, you can find that on the Associated Press. <laughs> um, but I, just to preface, I am a Democrat. Um, however, I respect everyone's views. I actually welcome everyone's views and discussion with everyone as an adult. Um, because sometimes, I'll admit, I'm not always right. So it's nice to hear other views. I encourage um, views and opinions and, and idea sharing amongst Republicans to myself uh, and vice versa, because I think it's important to have that open dialogue. Um, but back to representing everyone, I think that that's a big issue that we face in today's society, especially here in the 76th district. Uh, we have a representative, Stephanie Borowitz, as I'm sure a lot of you know. Um, who continues to, to only represent um, the people who I'd say would shapes herself. Um, I think that personally, I would say that she looks up to Donald Trump a little too much, um, which, to each their own, I don't judge. But I think that that comes back and bites um, with local politics, because as a state representative, you have to be willing to represent all of the constituents of your district. All of them, not just the Republicans, not just the Christians, not just the straight people, not just the people who own a bunch of guns, um, not that I'm against gun rights because I'm not, um, but you have to be willing to represent all of your constituents in an equal manner and not just the people who fall under your umbrella. And I think that that's something that Stephanie lacks um, very well, as you can see almost daily on her Facebook page, um, especially yesterday, refusing to wear a mask um, and calling out Dr. Anthony Fauci, saying that he can't make her wear a mask, um, pretty much. And I think that's just a blatant disregard to public safety and irresponsible and unethical as a state representative. But that's my opinion, like I said. Um, so let's go ahead and move on. So nationally, this week, Joe Biden, the president-elect, has announced his agency transition review teams. And on those review teams, basically these are teams that um, review agencies and kind of fit or analyze how the Biden administration will shape these administra sorry, these agencies 
uh, moving forward. So something to note locally is that on the Department of Education review team, the Biden administration has appointed former Pennsylvania Education, former Secretary of Education here in Pennsylvania. Sorry, that was a tongue twister. Pedro Rivera um, on the Department of Education team. Um, and it's important to note um, as well that the Department of Education is currently headed by uh, the U.S. Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Uh, and Biden recently has pledged to appoint a Secretary of Education that has a background in public education, um, unlike DeVos, who, who lacks in that area. And I think that that's also very important, is that as the Biden administration continues to look at repealing um, Trump-era policies and administration uh, guidelines and reviews and policies, it's important to look at who we put in those roles and make sure that they have the qualifications. Um, because as a lot of people know, Betsy DeVos doesn't really have many qualifications to be in that role. Um, but yet she continues to be in that role advocating on behalf of private schools and, and charter schools and not necessarily public schools, which is the foundation of our American education society. Continuing, uh, Donald Trump continues to refuse to give a concession, although yesterday on Saturday, November 14th, he did tweet, quote, he won because the election was rigged, end quote. However, this morning, he released another tweet saying, quote, I concede nothing, end quote. Most major media outlets have called um, the entire presidential race at this time, um, with Georgia being the last state um, because they were doing the recount. So AP is the only source so far, the most important one in my opinion, that hasn't yet called Georgia. But with Georgia called, that would give Biden 306 electoral college votes, um, which Donald Trump's former advisor, Kellyanne Conway, in 2016 tweeted, quote, 306 landslide blowout historic, end quote. Well, I think that Kellyanne would be remiss by the fact that um, this is a landslide, and she definitely has much different opinions this time. Uh, but, you know, it's in your own words. So, basically, with Donald Trump uh, refusing to concede, personally, I think that... It's really a threat to national security and American democracy. You can't just claim that you've won states and and kind of scare, per se, the American people. Um, not that I'm scared at all, because I know that um, this is just a ploy for financial gain, which I'll talk about in a second. But it, it's... It's a scare tactic basically used for the Democratic Party to basically get them to support him, which obviously isn't working. Although I do feel that as a political um, figurehead and as uh, somebody who has run a campaign and all of that, that Donald Trump does have the legal grounds to pursue any cases that he wishes in terms of this election. Um, I think that it's a waste of money with the ones that he continues to do, even though he's lost almost every single one except maybe one or two. Um, and, and those one or two that he has won have resulted in very little changes um, that won't affect the outcome of the election at all whatsoever. Um, but he definitely has the right to continue to pursue these legal actions um, because that's his right. And he can continue to do that, um, although he'll continue to lose. Uh, but I think that it's important at this point 
that the General Services Administration um, signs the letter and gives the Biden administration the tools that they need to be able to start their transition. Um, although they are already well, well, well ahead in transitioning uh, their administration, already uh, appointing a chief of staff and basically getting these agency review teams underway and starting to appoint staff uh, that they will use within their administration and crafting those policies and having their briefings on COVID-19 and other issues that are affecting our beloved country. But I think that that's important is that we recognize that the American people have spoken. Democracy works. Democracy in action happened on November 3rd. And whether we choose to like those results or not, the American people in the Constitution are the ones that choose the president. Um, the current president does not get to choose who is president. Um, the GOP does not get to choose who is president. Um, and, and, and vice versa, the Democrat Party also does not get to choose who becomes president. But in this case, we did. We showed up, um, and the American people have chose Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to lead the United States into the next four years of growth as a forever growing country. So this weekend, Donald Trump also held his his campaign per se held um, a a march in Washington D.C. called the Million MAGA March. Um, and one of the signs I saw there that was very interesting um, that I saw a picture of from the from the march uh, from a local news source said, "quote Coming for blacks and Indians. First, welcome to the new world order." End quote. And I I think that that sign speaks for itself and the people that are out there supporting um, and getting involved in these things that that are not backed up by evidence. And um, I I think that it's said the best um, that you can sue in the United States for whatever you want to. Um, I I can sue someone because they blinked at me weird and I felt offended by it, probably. Does that mean I'm going to win? No. So you can sue for whatever you want, but that doesn't mean you are going to win. So um, like someone said best, Donald Trump can can sue a ham sandwich if he wants to, but that doesn't mean that he's going to win um, that lawsuit. And we're seeing that across the country now as the Trump administration continues to file lawsuits that uh, are failing at the beginning. Um, and, and his own lawyers and attorneys and, and campaign spokespeople um, saying in court hearings that they're not saying there's fraud and they're not, they don't have any evidence to present. And that's in their own words in those court transcripts. So really, I strongly believe that it's just a ploy for financial gain. Um, Donald Trump asking for donations to his legal defense fund that uh, mostly goes to the RNC and uh, bailing out his debt from his campaign. Um, So I think that um, Trump style, he'll continue to exploit American citizens for financial gain before he eventually um, is forced to concede. Um, And personally, I think he'll flee the country. (laughs) He's got a lot of charges brought against him already and a lot of court cases open against him and subpoenas waiting for him the minute he steps out of office um and i think it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out um but if he doesn't concede eventually that's okay too because the biden administration is already at work and 
we don't need him and, and they don't need him to to concede to be able to move forward. The Constitution lays out very clearly um, what day the transition takes place and um, how it takes place. So um, the government is ready to um, clear out any trespassers in the White House on that day is that by the Constitution. So we shall see how that plays out. But moving on, uh, just a little bit of sad news as the coronavirus continues to climb. Um, really, every day we're seeing, especially here in Pennsylvania, that we continue to break new records and not only cases, but deaths. And the Pennsylvania Department of Health Secretary, Dr. Rachel Levine, urged Pennsylvanians on Thursday to avoid gatherings of any kind and to cooperate with COVID-19 contact tracing and investigations. And I think that this is very important. My own family, um, we're having maybe three or four people um, that were normally around um, at Thanksgiving, uh, while the rest of the family kind of has their own things at their house and we zoom in to each other. Um, and so we can kind of virtually be there with each other, but at the same time socially distance, um, as a lot of people in my family, including myself, um, are at high risk and, and have underlying conditions that could make things a lot more complicated if they were to contract this virus. Pfizer this week has also announced early results of its clinical trial, stating that their vaccine is more than 90% effective. Um, because of that news, the S&P 500 gained about 1.2% on Monday, which was just a little bit short of a record high at the beginning of December. Um, also, uh, the last thing that I'll talk about today on kind of the nationwide um, or countrywide, whatever you want to say, kind of level is that on Saturday, a federal judge ha has said that the new DACA rules are invalid. Um, the judge basically said that Chad Wolf um, has not been serving lawfully as the acting secretary of Homeland Security. And so therefore, the suspension of DACA is invalid. And I personally think that that's a win um, for DACA recipients. And we'll see um, how things there are continued. Um, but Chad Wolf obviously has, has not been uh, serving lawfully, as a lot of us have known um, for quite some time. So, to the local headlines and updates, uh, the Jersey Shore has appointed their first female mayor, Abby Welker. Uh, she was among four applicants, and she works alongside her father as a funeral director at the Frederick B. Welker Funeral Home, uh, which is in Jersey Shore uh, on Main Street. Uh, however, I think it's important to, to note that we talk about how the borough of Jersey Shore has a has a weak executive form of government where the mayor is mostly a figurehead. And I'm already seeing um, on social media channels and even some comments out in public um, that are already starting to blame Miss Welker and um, basically criticize her for, um, well, I hope she does this and I hope she does that because this is stupid and this is broken or whatever. And I think that's very important for those people to understand that the mayor's just a figurehead and we do have a weak executive form of council in the borough of Jersey Shore. So those complaints, those concerns should be taken to the borough council, um, who has a lot more power than the mayor, um, herself. Um, I think it's great. I think that Abby's a great person, although I haven't met her. I've seen the great things that she does for our community, and I wish her the best of luck. And for anyone criticizing her already, I wish um, that you attend a borough council meeting and voice your concern um, and take part in, in American democracy to, to voice those concerns and, and to get your voices heard, because I promise you that council will listen to you. Um, 
we've got some great people on council and they will take care of the issues that you have um, if you voice it to the right people. The city of Williamsport continues to address the potential of seeking a new location for City Hall. The current building that they're in among along West 4th Street um, is not ADA compliant and, and to renovate it would pretty much be a pretty large burden on, on not only the city but the taxpayers of the city as well. And so they continue to look at new options. A uh, local news outlet recently um, wrote an article about how they were considering the Trade and Transit Center to house some government offices, and that left the Community Theater League feeling blindsided and uninformed as their current tenant of the Trade and Transit Center um, because that outlet made it sound like a decision was already made. However, the next day, Adam Yoder, the chair of the Ad Hoc Committee, uh, met with the administration at the Community Theater League and affirmed that the city will continue to work with the Community Theater League and keeps them in the loop, um, and the city continues to seek options um, for this restructuring, and nothing is official at this time. Um, I personally have worked in City Hall out of an office two summers ago, and I myself can tell you that the building is in disrepair. It's not it's probably not up to code. Um, and in fact, I feel comfortable saying it's not. And I I see for I saw firsthand that the repairs are 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 not feasible financially. Um, and if they were completed, it, it would just be too much of a burden on the taxpayers and not something that they should be responsible for at this time. I think it's going to be a much cheaper option to explore other avenues to house those government offices and move forward. The city of Lock Haven this weekend on Friday and Saturday um, had three ribbon cuttings for local businesses, so small businesses, pretty booming here. Um, Simone's Bakery, A Little Bird, and Mimoyo Atsu, three new businesses downtown. Um, great businesses, I haven't got to go to them yet, um, but from what I see and the pictures I see, they're, they're very beautiful, and, and I think that they will bring a lot to our community. You can see pictures uh, from the ribbon cuttings, and you can check out the businesses on the Facebook page of Downtown Lock Haven, Inc., um, and also motorcycle in the background. Not sure if you can hear that. Um, please note that throughout this podcast, you may hear um, vehicles as I live near the main road of Lock Haven, and I live pretty close to the airport, so you may hear an airplane from time to time, um, which it's a pretty cool experience, but... Uh, also kind of annoying sometimes, but <laughs> it's okay. We live with it. So moving on, uh, newly erected, newly elected Pennsylvania State Rep Stephanie Borowitz um, here in the 76th District of Pennsylvania was joined recently by nearly two dozen House and Senate lawmakers calling for the formation of an investigative committee with subpoena power to conduct an audit of the election here in the Commonwealth, um, basically saying that they had widespread doubts. However, no evidence here in the Commonwealth has been brought forward to support those doubts or any fraud um, or tampering in the election here. Um, all of the lawsuits that continue in the state of Pennsylvania, um, or at least most of them, are, are not backed up by evidence and are are failing daily, and I think that that's important to note. The Secretary of State, Kathy Bookfire, has said that no recount um, will happen in the state of Pennsylvania because the margin for a typical recount um, has been exceeded, and Joe Biden uh, leads Donald Trump by a, a very nice number of, of votes. 
here in Pennsylvania, so uh, no recount necessary. Uh, and with the rise of COVID, the Pennsylvania State Educators Association, the Teachers Union and Collective Bargaining Unit um, has began urging schooling in remote schooling in areas with escalation of coronavirus infections. Um, we see the coronavirus infection rate rising rapidly every day um, throughout different counties in Pennsylvania um, with the COVID-19 early warning dashboard um, through the Pennsylvania Department of Health highlighting those areas the most that are affected by these rising cases and the rate of infection. And I think that that's what PSEA is is kind of concerned about. And they have brought those concerns forward and are urging those school districts in those counties to consider going fully remote for the time being, um, or at least develop plans to do so um, the moment that they are asked to um, by any type of official. So that's about it for this week. Uh, we'll end with a call to action. Um, just a little bit of a personal story to end out this first podcast. Um, I was born with congenital heart disease uh, with a bicuspid aortic valve. Um, I recently found out about it three years ago. And so my call to action this week is very simple. It's just to wear a mask. I know it's annoying. I know it's congesting sometimes. And it may feel like it's hard to breathe because anxiety, but it's not really. Um, And I just, I think it's very important and very personal to me um, that I at least ask everyone to wear a mask because although you don't like it, um, although if you don't like it, some people do, some people are okay with it, which is awesome and I love those people. But if you're not okay with it, the CDC has released a new guidance recently that says that the mask not only protects others now, but it protects yourself as well. So if not for other people, do it for yourself. Um, Do it for the people around you, the people you love. Uh, I think that it would be tragic to to know that, say, for example, I was at the grocery store and a week later I found out that little Susie that I passed in the pasta aisle passed away because she had COVID. And here I am passing it along to people that I don't know that I have. Um, So... I think it's very important that we continue to realize that this virus is asymptomatic. You may not know that you have it if you do. And even if you do know, it's not something that we should be spreading and and sharing with people and our loved ones and the people that we care about and even random people in the community. It's really just our civil duty at the moment to wear a mask and protect the people around us as we move forward through this raging pandemic that continues to take a cool a, <laughs> a toll, sorry on our society. So that's about it for the week. Uh, I aim to keep all of these podcasts under 30 minutes every week with just the updates and recaps. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you join me on Saturday, November 21st. Stay safe, stay happy, and most importantly, stay healthy. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Weekly Recap. My name is Brandon Rank, and as a general disclaimer, please note that any personal opinions or views shared during this podcast are just that, personal views and opinions, and they do not reflect the views or opinions of my employer or any organization, board, or committee that I am affiliated with. In addition, this podcast was recorded on Friday, November 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Times, which means that some things may have changed since this recording. 
For those of you who are listening to this for the first time, my goal is to provide a weekly update on Fridays or Saturdays that outline the biggest headlines in local and statewide political and government matters so that you're not overwhelmed by the daily headlines in all of the local newspapers and social media and all of that, um, especially for those people who want to keep up but not be overwhelmed. Joe Biden continues to transition his administration to the White House, uh, still does not have the assertion he needs from the General Services Admission, but nevertheless continues to move forward with his transition, uh, appointing more people to his key staff, a new policy advisor to Jill Biden, um, a new White House um, legislative advisor, and, and multiple other positions. Donald Trump still does not concede the election, uh, is now appearing a little bit more in public than he was last week. Um, he held the, He's holding a press conference as we speak right now, and he has his uh, press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, um, out as well um, earlier today, basically touting more election fraud um, nonsense. Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump's personal lawyer, has joined the Donald J. Trump campaign in court after two legal teams backed out at the last minute, one the night before the first hearing. Uh, The hearings are actually happening in federal court here locally in Williamsport. Uh, Rudy Giuliani was there earlier this week. Uh, And I think that the biggest thing to point out with these, um, for those people worried or, or really following just following along with everything, is that although the Trump campaign and Donald Trump himself and even Rudy Giuliani outside of court are boasting these evidenceless claims of election fraud and tampering, there's a completely different story that's being painted in court. Um, Rudy Giuliani just continuously says in court, and and along with the other lawyers for them, um, basically just continuing saying that they're not alleging fraud and they have no evidence of fraud um but the basically their big claim is that they believe that mail-in voting was a giant hoax and it took apart um, a constitutional right um, that americans have for voting uh which we know is not the case the whole lawsuit's bogus um but you know you still got to go through due process he even at one point mixed up the meanings of opaque um, <laughs> saying that that was a big word for him to the judge. Uh, it's a very interesting. This is actually the first case that Giuliani has been in in, in quite some time. Um, he was the former mayor of New York City and he was a former attorney general in New York and he, he used to handle high profile cases and um, used to convict murderers and serial killers and everything and now he can't even hold up an election fraud uh case without presenting evidence so moving on um he also hold held a press conference to update his supporters for donald trump on the legal efforts taking place behind the scenes in that press conference the dye from his hair dripped down his face and you can hear one of the people um, commenting about it that were running his own live stream Um, so I think that that was very interesting Um, today the Associated Press AP 
um, or maybe actually not today, I think it was yesterday, they certified that, or they called the election in Georgia for Joe Biden after they have certified, um, the state of Georgia, not AP, have certified the results of their election after the recount, um, and then AP decided to call the race, which now brings Joe Biden to 306 um, electoral votes on the AP count. He was at 306 on other counts before, uh, but AP was waiting until that recount in Georgia to take place, uh, which now officially leaves him with AP at 306, which is the same amount of votes that Donald Trump got in 2016. There are numerous plans to have a vaccine rolled out to the public by the end of the year, maybe not to the general public, but at least kind of starting it uh, to get the the process in and get the logistics in place to get it out there. Pfizer's now saying that their vaccine is 95% effective, and Moderna is, is very close with that as well. They're both around 95% now. After clinical trials, both seeking FDA emergency use authorization uh, approval, which they hope to attain within days. The big difference between Pfizer and Moderna is that one of them has to be stored at super cold temperatures. One of them has to be stored at a kind of a cool temperature. Um, one of them, both of them require two doses. However, one of them is 20 days apart and one is 28 days apart. So I think the big struggle for, for healthcare workers is going to be um, making sure that the patients are getting the right vaccine. And I think it's important for those healthcare administrators and uh, the companies working with them to put IT systems in place to make sure that, number one, not only are the patients getting that dose um, in the 20 or 28 days, that second dose and following up with that, uh, that they're getting the correct one. And I think it's going to be hard for them to kind of distinguish the two once they get things into place. But I think that once that comes under underway logistically, I think it'll all work out. Rachel Levine, the Pennsylvania Department um, of Health Secretary, has released new guidance this week, uh, basically new mask orders that uh, say that you have to wear masks um, even inside now, even when you're with people that you're normally around. So that's a big difference. And the Department of Health and, and Dr. Levine are also asking that everyone coming into the state of Pennsylvania now quarantine for 14 days, uh, basically gearing up for holiday travel. The CDC is basically begging people not to go anywhere and to stay home. And if you really, really, really do have a gathering, to not have that many people. And I think that that's very important to consider because this is the the biggest holiday season of the year, almost. Well, we're almost to Christmas, uh, which would be the biggest. But this is the second biggest holiday celebration throughout the year in most families. And it's important to note that some people are going to have to make a sacrifice this year. And it's... It's not the easiest thing to do, um, but I mean, I personally, I think the worst gift that you could give to someone around the holiday season is a, a virus that doesn't have a cure yet, and um, very, very, very important to consider. The Department of Health, and this is something that I disagree with almost completely, the Department of Health, and my view on this is very disputed, so I'm sure not everyone will agree, but... The Department of Health continues to rely on Pennsylvanians and say that they trust Pennsylvanians to wear masks and socially distance and follow these never-ending guidelines that are put out by the health secretary. Um, and, and these are more so memorandums. They're not even orders. They're fancy memos 
that are put out to the public. And I, I personally just don't think it's enough. I don't think that uh, a majority of Pennsylvanians are great. I do think that, sorry, I do think the majority of Pennsylvanians are great and will follow that. Um, but you can't trust everyone. And I think at this point, um, personally, I've lost trust in, in not all of Pennsylvania, obviously, but I've lost trust in a handful of Pennsylvanians because it it's become a political thing. And that, that's thanks to some political leaders, especially here in the area. The This isn't about politics. This is about public health. And those are two completely different things. And politicizing mask wearing and social distancing it, it isn't a necessary thing that we need to dispute. This isn't Republican versus Democrat. This is Americans versus a pandemic. This isn't, you know, well, this is just a minor inconvenience and I'm deciding not to do it. It's a minor inconvenience that everyone needs to follow because you, with this pandemic being asymptomatic, it, it's very, very, very possible that you may have something now and you're spreading it as we speak right now um, and you don't know that. And so I think that that's something very important to consider. And I think that as we move forward, our, our state lawmakers and the Department of Health um, Secretary, Dr. Rachel Levine, and of course, our Governor Tom Wolf, I think personally, and this is very disputed, I think it needs to be stronger, stronger measures, stronger orders, stronger mandates. Um, because people, if we don't crack down on this, we're, we're not going to lock down. They're not going to lock down. They, we've already been through these options, and, and now things are more available, like masks and, and cleaning supplies and things that we didn't have at the beginning of all of this. But we're not going to lock down. We're going to have a, a widespread, um, an even more widespread increase of these cases that we continue to see on an almost daily basis. And the longer we wait and the longer that we keep recommending, the more people that are dying. And I think that that's important to consider. And personally, I think that some officials are afraid of the backlash um, that they'll get from specifically Republicans and those in the aisle that are politicizing this, is that they're afraid of, of that backlash. And I think that that's something that we need to kind of ban up and 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 move forward with and put out more strict orders, more strict guidance, and things that are not just memorandums, mandates. Uh, we need a, a mask mandate. We need a national mask mandate, to be honest. Um, but we need to start coming together as a state and establishing these things on a statewide basis. Because at least until the Biden administration gets into office, we're not going to have anything on a national level um, as Trump continues to, to turn this into a political stunt. But anyways, moving on from the coronavirus, the last thing that I wanted to talk about today, and this is a shorter podcast um, this week, mainly because things are, are stalled at the moment. Um, coronavirus continues to rise. These cases that are in court continue to go on as we move forward. Um, but the last thing I want to talk about is, is good for the local people is that the not only the state house, but Clinton County itself has passed. Um, the state is, is working to pass uh, very soon, maybe even today, um, a a budget with no tax increase, and Clinton County already has passed a budget with no tax increase. So those are two very great things, especially for the residents in those places. Um, and 
it's important that they considered, and I think it's great that they considered the relief that they are providing to the people in their constituent districts and um, Clinton County and the state of Pennsylvania. And I think what's even more important and probably the most important thing to consider and move forward and, and to advocate on is for the national legislature, or, or sorry, I shouldn't say national, but the United States legislature and the White House to, and when I say legislature, I, I really mean Congress, the United States Congress, sorry, I don't know why I couldn't get that out. I think that they need to get together, stop the partisanship, we need to be bipartisan 100%, and we need to get something working not only for the people, but for the government's in the local vicinities, because we can't continue to keep writing off these tax, um, these no tax increases on a a county and, and statewide, um, basis, and and just kind of be like, oh, okay, well, we're gonna pass this with no budget increase, and we're just gonna hope the government gives us more money, and at, at this rate, with our current person in office, that's not gonna happen, and so I think that it's important that these places consider this stuff when moving forward, and I'm not saying that I'm against tax increases, um, or for tax increases, I I don't have a view on them at the moment, um, with the state of everything, but I think that it's important to consider that we need to advocate more for this, this relief on the United States level, and I think that my call to action this week is going to be for you all to reach out to your state legislature, reach out to your district representative, and and advocate. Tell them, hey, like, our local governments need money from the state, from the federal government. We need to offset these budget deficits. We need support for our local fire departments and hospitals and all of these people dealing with these things, our frontline workers, everyone who is being not necessarily directly impacted, but indirectly impacted by the coronavirus. And if we don't continue to advocate for these things, it's going to become difficult moving forward because as we continue throughout the following years and quarters and fiscal years, we're going to have to have budget increases and we're going to have to have tax increases because we can't continue to offset budget deficits. That's not how it works. It's impossible. That's like getting a a huge loan and saying, oh, you know what? I'll take care of it next year. And that's what we continue to do. And it's very important. So that would be my call to action for you all this week is to reach out to your state uh, representative and advocate for more funding from the federal government. So that wraps things up for the week. I hope you all have a fantabulous weekend. Uh, that's fantastic and fabulous in one word. I use it all the time. Fantabulous. <laughs> um, but have a fantabulous weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, and most importantly, stay healthy.